for uh, making this. This has been a special night. I re really, really do uh, that. Thank you for uh, making uh, making it there, uh, Eldon, and and bringing your own, buying your own food and bringing it here on your birthday. That shouldn't have been done, but we enjoyed those chicken livers too. <laughs> but uh, but like I say, it, it, it's good for brothers and sisters in Christ get together and just. Uh, Share how the Lord has worked in their lives, and that, boy, you see some amazing supernatural things. How God has worked through us, and just in, in His uh, providence and, and such. You know, you look at all the things, and uh, so we get to kind of share on that. But uh, we we have quite a few chapters here tonight, and like I say, this is not a verse by verse study, and we miss chunks and chunks of it. It's no way near. Uh, the way that it ought to be treated, but we're just giving a getting a a bird's eye view, and you know there's check. Uh, I think maybe chunks out of Isaiah here that we might want to come back later next year and delve into a little bit deeper. But um, the chapters that we have tonight, 40 through 48, are really about a high view of God. Uh, that's what we like, right? That's that's my motto: have a high view of God. Um, what it is, is we now start the second part of Isaiah. We started in October, and the, the whole goal was to get done by the end of the year, uh, December. We have four weeks left. We're still on schedule. And so we're just kind of moving along at a rapid pace, but uh, getting a, a pretty good, I think, a, a handle on it anyway. This is something that we can refer to as the New Testament section. Um, remember, there are 66 chapters in Isaiah, 39 in the old uh, part, and 27 in this new part we're going to do, which you know we're referring to kind of like the old and the New Testament, although Isaiah didn't have chapters uh, like what we look at. Here's chapter 40, 41. But I think it's interesting how that works out anyway. But um, uh, the, this New Testament section, chapter 40, it's interesting. It opens up with a John, the uh, John the Baptist um Ministry, which the book of Mark starts with John the Baptist. You see John uh, John the Baptist early in the, in the Gospels. So the second part then kind of starts with John the Baptist uh, uh, of Isaiah, and then it ends with the new heavens and the new earth in chapter sixty six. And so, and of course you think of Revelation ending with the new heavens and new earth. But that's why we kind of refer uh, to this as the New Testament section. Uh, of Isaiah, and there are many references to Jesus Christ uh, as Savior, Christ Messiah. Uh, we see that all through the rest of the book of Isaiah. And in this section, I, Isaiah is addressing a generation, but it's a new generation of Jewish people, because the other generation was the Assyrians, and that's really what we saw through the first 39 chapters. There were some mentions of some of the surrounding countries, the nations. Uh, and But Assyria was the main one to watch out for. And that's what we heard of and that's what we finished with. Well, in this section, it's not going to be dealing with Assyria. It now moves on up into time and it's really going to be dealing with, uh, of course, we, we see, the, uh, we, we think of Isaiah 53 and 54 and 52, Suffering Servant, uh, Christ, we think of that. Uh, we think of the great high view of God where we're at tonight. Uh, but the prophet in, in, in 40 through 66 is looking ahead and he's seeing Babylon that will destroy Jerusalem 
the Jews go into captivity, and, and it's telling ahead of time. So it's a new generation. You know, you have the Assyrian part, now you have the Babylonian part. But what he does emphasize so much in this next section, we've already seen it that way anyway, but God forgiving his people, delivering them out of the captivity of, of Babylon, taking them back to Jerusalem, and then to rebuild the temple and restore the nation. So in between all of this stuff about who God is, then we have what was going on at that time. The primary figure... Who was the king of Assyria? Who, who is that primary figure that we've seen in the first 39 chapters? Sennacherib. In the next part, there's a new figure that's going to arise. And he's not from Babylon, but he's from the empire that will overtake the Babylonians. His name is Cyrus. And God names him many, many years, many decades before it happened. He, he gives him his name of who he is as uh, the king of Persia. And that was in 541 B.C. when he issued a decree that the Jews go back to their homeland, rebuild the temple and the city. And in Ezra 1, 1 through 4, we get that decree that he told them to do. God raised him up to do that at that time. When Isaiah wrote these messages, Babylon was not any kind of a great world power at all. They weren't really much to really be shouting about. But the prophet was seeing ahead with what God was giving him and seeing what the international scene was going to be like. Uh, so at 40 through 48, we get the greatness of the Father. And then in chapters 49 through 57, we get uh, the greatness about God the Son. And then in 58 through 66, a lot is emphasized about describing the glory of God and um, the Holy, Holy Spirit working in that, in that time period. The heart of these chapters that we're in from 40 through 66, this, this last half, the heart of it is found in 49 through 57. And that's where we're going to be at next time. Um, and that's where Isaiah exalts Messiah. This is God's suffering servant. Of course, you get the Isaiah 52 and 53. Substitutionary uh, atonement. Dies for the sins of the world. His sacrifice on the cross for our sins. That's all in that section. And boy, that is, that is meat. That is heavy stuff. Um, this section, 40 through 66, this uh, New Testament section, the rabbis called it the Book of Consolation or the Book of Comfort. After those 39 chapters, that's a pretty good reason to call it that because Isaiah wanted to comfort the Jewish remnant that were going to be in Babylon. And it was going to be tough years when they were in captivity. But he assured them that God was with them and God is going to do a thing for them. Um, so, you know, this is a, originally addressed to a group of really discouraged Jewish refugees. You hear a lot about the refugees. Well, these were refugees. They faced a long journey back home. That's, you know, they didn't really have a home. There's your refugees. But they're going back home. It's a difficult task, what they were going to have to do in rebuilding it. It wasn't going to be anything like it was when uh, 70 years ago the people had been taken to Babylon. And God keeps saying this all the way through, fear not, fear not. 
And he reminds them of his pardon and of his presence. His pardon and his presence. So this is where I think we can find encouragement. We can find assurance because there are difficult days in life that we have. They had very difficult days. But God said, don't fear. I'm going to get you through this. Be comforted. And so this is where we start off in the uh, first verse. Uh, pray for a moment. Lord, help us as we go through these chapters and uh, at least get a, a good handle uh, on how you are a great, great God and how you comfort your people and that we can realize that you have everything under control. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we know that he has it under control, but boy, when the tough circumstances happen, and, and they were, they were facing many tough circumstances, it felt like an impossible. You ever had an, a, what's an impossible tomorrow? There's no way I'm going to be able to get through this. How am I going to do it? You know, well, we need to be reminded about the greatness of God. See, what, what happens is what, where we focus our thoughts so often, if we're not trusting in Him, what are we doing? We're, we're trying to trust in ourselves, really. That's the battle. But where does He want our eyes at? On Him. Think of the greatness of God. So when things really get tough, where do your thoughts go? So that's, that's what Isaiah is doing here. You have a remnant in Babylon. You know, these people are... Um, they looked back. They saw failure, sin. They needed encouragement as they're getting ready to go on home from there. I uh, have to read the first couple of verses here. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended. Remember those first 39 chapters? <laughs> uh, but he's going to take them ahead. That her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. In Malachi 3, you get something of the same parallel. Who is this speaking about in verse 3? A voice is calling. John the Baptist, out in the wilderness. Malachi talks about that. And then as soon as you get into the New Testament... You've got this John the Baptist. So we get a little bit of a preview right there. One voice that is heard for the voice of pardon. Nation had sinned greatly in idolatry and immorality and injustice. When, G when John the Baptist came on the scene and then Jesus, they were in the same situation uh, spiritually. God would chasten them, and, he, and He's done that, but He also would not forsake them, and He wants to pardon them. By the way, he loves to pardon people. <laughs> That's what he does. He's a forgiving God. He could have just left them where they were at. He could have left them in Babylon and never cared about them again. In verses 3 through 5, uh, we read verse 3 and it talks about valleys, mountains, and hills being cleared. And of course, it, um, they had a rough road ahead as they returned from Babylon to go to, to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Lord would go before them. Um, by the way, the whole idea here is uh, when you think of a highway for our God, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. That's what would happen when a king was going to be coming 
come come into town, you you would have somebody representing the king to go and make sure the roads were perfectly clear. They would clean up the area, prepare the way for the coming of the king. John the Baptist did that as he prepared the way for Christ to come. And, uh, of course, um, that's what that is kind of referring to in, in prophecy there. Uh, we have an image of a highway. We've already seen that before. Uh, the, the highway of holiness, chapter 39, I think, ended with that, and we'd seen it before. Uh, the road. John the Baptist, clearing the way for ministry of Christ. Um, in verses 6 through 8, we have a promise. A voice says, call out, and then he answered, what shall I call out? And this is something we are very familiar with. All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. Has anybody heard that one before? The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And, of course, you know, you can think of the leaders. You can think of those nations. You can think of all the people, and they're just they're like like grass. They're here, then they fade away. Uh, the, the flowers, um, Israel, still is going to be depending upon God's promises, and uh, of course, all those leaders and those nations that had um, taken them into captivity. God's saying that uh, I've got a promise for you. In nine through eleven, He talks about a peace here. At the end of verse 9, he says, Here is your God. Verse 10, look. Behold, the Lord God will come with might. After we've had 39 chapters, and he's been talking about this, look at this. Behold, the Lord your God will come with might. With his arm ruling for him, behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arms he will gather the lambs. And carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. There's the kind of God he is. He's a shepherd. And he's going to take his people and he's going to make sure that, that he takes care of them, even as broken as it seems like they are. He's going to tend his flock. And so, uh, um, good news. There will be a defeat of Babylon, the release of the captive Jews, and um, God will make sure he'd take care of his people. Um, Look at verse 15. Here's where it talks about um, in 12 through 26 circumstances that are before us. Uh, in verse 15, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Okay, All the rustling around and the crazy stuff that's happening in the world with all the different kinds of views, world views, and it's happening in the, throughout all the, um, the nations. Nation like a drop in a bucket. Look, and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Verse 17, all the nations are nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. A negative figure here, less than zero. <laughs> you know, that they're nothing. And so what he's saying here, and, and in verse 12 through 20, it's God is greater than all or anything that's on the earth. He's greater than anything on the earth. He is the creator. And creation in that section, 12 through 20, shows his wisdom. Creation shows his power. Creation shows how immense that he is. And he is greater than the nations that he's made. And he's greater than their gods. <laughs> Little g, right? Um, 
21 through 26, He's greater than anything in heaven. 21. Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Haven't you heard this? Don't you know this? 21 says. I love this one. This is all about the sovereignty of God, isn't it? 22. It is He who sits above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Uh, go down to verse 23. It, he it is who reduces rulers to nothing. There's no need to fear them. Who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. All the judges making the decisions and <laughs> all the leaders. And he says, they're nothing. It's me that it's about. 26 says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. Look up. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. The stars, he, he has a name for all of them. Have you ever seen how many billions of the stars there are? And he knows their names? There's billions of galaxies, and each galaxy has billions of Can we even fathom this? And he knows their names? Because of the greatness of his might and strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Total control of it all. So he's greater than the earth, anything on the earth, greater than anything in heaven. Um, if we look at God through our circumstances, he's going to seem really small. But if we look at him as the great creator God that he is, and we see him for what he has done and how much he's in control by looking at that, he'll draw very near to us and he reveals his greatness to us. I mean, it's just unbelievable. In 27 through 31... Well, if you realize there's a plan, you, then you're patient. If there's something going on, you know how much more patient you are. If you realize, well, this has to happen to this, to this, to this, then you're patient. But when you think that everything's out of control, that's when you lose your patience. Yeah. yeah. And that's why you have to wait. And that's why the next section is complaining in verse 27. And why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? There's the complaining. And then in verse 28 through 31, and Johnny put this up on his wall, which Frida uh, was surprised that he just went ahead and just went and finished it all off. And it's... It's coming right up here. You'll see which verse it is. Everybody's familiar with it. Um, uh, I like 28. It says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, which he's just been talking about, does not become weary or tired. So of all that he does, he doesn't ever get tired. We can't relate to that. We get tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and youths, and, and you watch little kids, it doesn't seem like they ever get tired. You know, they just go on and on and on, you know. The younger they are. Uh, but, uh, and vigorous young men stum uh, stumble badly. Yet, here we go, here's that famous verse. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Wait does not mean sitting around and doing nothing. It means to hope, though, and to look to God 
for everything that we need, knowing He's going to come through at His time and what is really needed. It means meditating on His very nature, His character, um, waiting on His promises, because if He makes a promise, we know that's going to happen. It's about praying and seeking to glorify God. That is waiting on the Lord and then letting His timing work. And i got a feeling we all have stories, as Eldon was relating, how God just kind of worked in all of that as, as we trust. And then sometimes you wonder, where's that money going to come from? And yet He provides. It is amazing. And if we just wait and allow Him to do what He wants to do, He does a great blessing, doesn't He? So, you know, waiting on the Lord. That's what the, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. That's where we get our power at. Um, it's been said that the, I think the, great, uh, the, the Puritans talked about patiently plodding. P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G. Plodding along. You think of the great heroes of the faith, and a lot of people say, those are the certain ones that just soar. You know, and you see all the triumphs, and you know they they speak in front of thousands of thousands of people, and everything's going really good. No, it's those who are patiently plotting, because that's what the walk is about. Um, anyway, that's one chapter. My, I think our a lot of our problem in this area is. I've seen it over and over and over again in the church. We got a committee that's in charge of this, whatever it is. And they get together and they discuss and they make plans and they decide this is what we're going to do. Now let's pray about it. <laughs> <laughs> and what they're asking is the Lord to bless the decision that we've made. Instead of spending time in prayer, Lord, what should we do? And then it'll be blessed. Uh, the church makes all sorts of plans without consulting the Lord. And then ask, Lord, bless the plans we've made. Doesn't work that way. That's right. It's kind of flip-flopped, isn't it? Got to seek Him first and His will. I know I'm guilty of that individually. Just as a church, we could be corporately. Yep. We all do it. That's that's what we fight against. We we often makes make those plans and haven't even talked to the Lord yet. Yeah. Waiting on the Lord. But and the purpose of this and this whole section is to see how big God is and your circumstances really don't matter that much, do they? Because he will take care of that. Well, that was God is greater uh, than any circumstances. you agree? Well, here's God is greater than any fears. This is 41 through 44. Just certain verses. He starts off with coastlands. Listen to me. Now, he's not only talking to Israel and dealing with the Babylon situation, but he says coastlands or islands. So he turns to the rest of the world even. And this comes to the year 2015. It 
comes to us even. Listen to me in silence and let the peoples gain new strength. Remember he was talking about strength? It's all in the Lord. Let the people gain strength. Let them come forward, then let them speak. Let us come together for judgment. Who is aroused? And all of a sudden, he shows you the international scene here as he brings on a Gentile who does not know God at that time to help his people go back to the land that he's promised to do it. And he uses this man here, Cyrus. We don't get his name here but we will. And he is a servant. There, This is um, a book of servant songs. One servant that we look at tonight is Cyrus. Another servant is Israel, the, the nation that God worked through. And the servant of all servants is Jesus, the Messiah. So we see all those there. But So now he talks about arousing one from the east. That would be like um, Persia, there was the the Persian Empire that defeated the Babylonians. That allowed that. So he introduces that there. Doesn't call him uh, by name, but he will. Uh, whom he calls in righteousness to his feet. He delivers up nations before him and subdues kings. He makes them like dust with his sword, as the wind-driven chaff with his bow. He pursues them, passing on in safety by a way he had not been traversing with his feet. Who has performed and accomplished it, calling forth the generations from the beginning. And here we go with this in our section, right? You see this so much. I, the Lord, am the first, and with the last, I am He. I am the first, I am the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega, right? And this has always been from the beginning. We will see that. Throughout, And then he, he counters that, I'm the Lord, I'm the first and the last. Then he talks about idols in verse 6, the craftsmen that make those idols, you know, out of the wood and using the metals. And then he says in verse 8, but you Israel, my servant. There's, a, there's another servant there. Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. And there's that, that, that song, I am a friend of God. Uh, but uh, there's another place where Abraham is considered to be his friend. And now here he says uh, descendants. Uh, they're servants in that sense. It's amazing that God would have people that he would call friends. Um, uh, he's, uh, verse 9, You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from the remotest parts and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Uh, 39 chapters, get a lot of judgment. There's a remnant. There's ones he's chosen. He doesn't reject them. It says in verse 10, here's our words, Do not fear. For why? I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. Don't look at your circumstances. Oh, it looks really bad. <laughs> For I am your God. Uh, at the end of verse 10, Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. My righteous powerful hand. That's what it. Uh, look at verse 14. Do not fear, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, declares the Lord, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. I'm focusing upon names of God here. Uh, here he's talking about um, Lord Yahweh, Redeemer, Holy One of Israel, 
uh, end of verse 16, you will glory in the Holy One of Israel. Uh, verse 17, I, the Lord, will answer them myself. And he says, I'll open rivers on the bare heights, springs. Uh, talks about the wilderness, a pool of water, dry land. There will be fountains. I'll put cedar in the wilderness. So, you know, a rebuilding of the land. But even more than that, this is a God who uh, is a God of restoration. And He restores His people and all of His creation. Verse 20, And the Holy One of Israel has created it. Uh, oh, the verse before that. Or verse 20. Um, that the hand of the Lord has done this. Um Verse 25, I have aroused one from the north, and he has come. From the rising of the sun, he will call on my name. Now, this is going back, and of course, right there, it seems like it's, it just comes out of nowhere. But this would be uh, our Cyrus, king of Persia. Uh, it's a land east of Babylon. It's uh, north of Israel there. Uh, they, he had conquered the Medians. Before he came to Babylon, I've aroused him to do that. Um, verse 42, or chapter 42. This is actually, this is another servant. This is the Messiah servant. Um, I had designed earlier to come back to this one. But let's go through it. Uh, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Now who's this? This is the Messiah. And it's a promise about the ultimate servant. Uh, You have verse 3, A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. That's not been happening. Um, Look at verse 5. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out. There's the Creator God again. Look at Him. Um, Verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, those who dwell in darkness from the prison. I am the Lord, Yahweh. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. Uh, This is the servant of all servants. This is our our Messiah. Uh, He's a redeemer, isn't he? Um, What a a picture that is. Um, Yeah, he's got... He's got praises there. Verse 10, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and those who dwell on them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voices. The settlements where Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing aloud. Let them shout for joy from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. So this is quite a promise of what will happen. He uh, Absolute restoration. Uh, behold him, the servant. You'll have 
the servant, we see a singing nation, we see a shouting conqueror there in 18 through 25, actually uh, a little bit earlier, maybe even 14, 15, 16, he's talking about the blindness that Israel was, how blind they were, how deaf they were. Um, and that's what he'll say. And then he'll talk about the idolatry that was involved. But yet, he is a God who is going to redeem the remnant out of that. <laughs> quite uh, quite amazing. That's what he wants to do. Uh, 43, this is about redeeming uh, Israel. Uh, in that last section in chapter 42 is how blind they were, how deaf they were. Um, and here he says in verse 1 of 43, But now thus says the Lord your Creator, O Jacob, and He who formed you, O Israel, what does he say? Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. He owns them. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And the rivers and walking through the fire. He made you for his purpose, not for your purpose. Yep. Do you, do you recognize the hand in there? What did you pick up? Um, how firm a foundation. Is that, is that what that is? Right out of Isaiah 43 here then. Isn't that amazing? Great. I mean, all of these would be great songs, wouldn't they? Yeah. Takes each one of those elements and goes through that. That's great. Those aren't those songs great because they focus upon who God is and what He's going to do, what He has done, and rather than and and what's the name of the song? Foundation. Time tested. Um, the problem here was with the Jewish nation. They read all these promises about how God's going to be with them and everything. And they pick and choose what they want to believe. <laughs> they didn't see that, well, if God's going to be with me, I've got to act like I'm his people. I've got to accept him as king. They thought they could do as they wanted to do and still all of this would come to pass. Kind of like a spoiled child and, or something. But didn't realize that uh, when Jesus come on the earth, uh, if you read Matthew, you can only count up about 30 people that were believers. Uh, out of the whole Jewish nation, the rest of them had gone astray. But I think that's they took this these promises that are here and thought, well, this is for us. We can do whatever we want to. God's promised us mm -hmm. this. Well, that happens now. It wasn't just the Jewish people then. It happens now in the church. A lot of times. You make up God for what you want Him to be. Isn't that in the? Isn't that really idolatry? Because. 
you know, might be having the right God, but it's making him out to be what you want him to be right. rather than what he really is. My, my thing of my mom, she asked me, you know, right before she died, well, about a week or so before she died, she said, "Why? how come God answers your prayers and doesn't answer mine? That's the people that gathered together at the last day and, and said, Lord, we did this in your name, and we did that in your name, and hmm. she said, I never knew you. Yeah. yeah. Well, as I said, instead, I said, Mom, you spent your whole life telling God what you're going to do for him and not want to be part of what he requires from you. And stuff like that, yeah. I've got a quote on my my board in my my kitchen, and it says, uh, "There is a God we want, and there is a God who is, mm-hmm. and they are not the same." God. <laughs> that was my from uh, the God who he's not is he a good God? He's going to be famous. <laughs> Um, in chapter 43, in verse 10, and all throughout this section, God just keeps telling who He is. And He keeps hammering on it. At the the very last part of verse 10 in, in chapter 43, before me, there was no God formed. He's always been here, right? There's never been a God before Him. Now, Mormonism would uh, debate that. As God is, we will become. God continues to keep getting better Himself. So, but, but there was what about that God that we believe? In? Well, before Him there was a God. Well, what about before Him? Well, there was a God before Him. <laughs> yeah, and and Jehovah's Witnesses. These are great verses that's coming up to show that God is the Savior. Some people doubt that Jesus is really God. He's a God, but He's not the God. Well, here we go in verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. Now, what does a Jehovah's Witness do with that? There is no Savior besides me. God is saying who He is. Um, well, they have some difficulty unless they get a hold of their... Um, their uh, elders, yeah, their New World Translation sometimes will twist it around. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes you can use their own little Greek translation and and show them. But um, yeah, this is and this he's already said I am the Alpha and Omega or I am the beginning and the end. And he'll say that several times. Forty through forty four, he just hammers on it one time after another after another. Here he says. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed. Drop down in verse 13. Even from eternity, I am he. He's calling himself eternal. There is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act and who can reverse it. Verse 14. Thus says the Lord God, your Redeemer. He's a Redeemer. The Holy One of Israel. For your sake I have sent to Babylon and will bring them all down as fugitives. They haven't even been captured by Babylon. Babylon is really nothing at this time, but he's saying Babylon. You see how he's brought them in, and then he's, he's showing Babylon's going to go down. I, I have I have a, a, another servant, and, and we're approaching that. Verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One. Remember, he's battling the idolatry of the day. The Babylonians, idolatry. The Persians, idolatry. 
the Egyptians, the Assyrians, all of the empires are idolatry. In Israel, idolatry. The ten tribes up north, idolatry. How about the two southern tribes? Idolatry. So, and he keeps saying, I am the Lord, thus creator of, uh, the creator of Israel, your king. And you notice he keeps saying the creator. I'm the one who created this. How can you have any other gods who cannot create? They're nothing. Um, I love verse 19. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness. There's another highway, a roadway in the wilderness. Rivers in the desert. See, a whole reclamation. <laughs> um then he says, here's what Israel, here's what you did. He reminds him. He goes back and gives you a little bit of the uh, the old 1 through 39. Yet you have not called on me, O Jacob, but you have become weary of me, O Israel. Uh, verse 24, uh, halfway down, and it, rather you have burdened me with your sins. There's one word, Hebrew word for uh, sin. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Another word for sin. I even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. I'm the one who wipes them out. Look at that forgiveness. You were evil and wicked and you didn't call on me and you were weary of me. Yet I came along and even though you burdened me with your sins, your iniquities and your transgressions for my own sake, I will not remember. You notice that? Verse 25, I will not remember your sins. His people, his remnant. Total forgiveness. You notice the three words for sins? There, that covers all kinds of sins. The, the you know, missing the mark, it, uh, going, transgressions is going over the fence line. And iniquities is the, the evils. It's all involved with it. Evil acts. Oh, Wow. Chapter 44, but now, listen, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I've chosen. He calls him again his servant after he's just shown what they did. And then comes along and says, oh, I'm going to forgive you. Verse 2, thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. And what are those words again? Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I've chosen. I'll pour out water on the thirsty land. Same message again. A desert, I'll pour out water on it. Streams on the dry ground. Look at this, verse 3. Here's a promise. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring. My Holy Spirit. He's projecting into... There will be a time when the Holy Spirit will be into people's lives like He hasn't before. The Holy Spirit always has to be the one to give us the power to do it. But there, uh, in Ezekiel, he talks about... Uh, in 36 and 37 and all around there, you know, he talks about the the Spirit coming into them and giving them life. Um, that's that's a great promise that uh, that he had. And of course, we see that ultimately when the person of Christ comes and the Holy Spirit then is given. Verse 6, For thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Here we go again. I am the first and I am the last. He's already said, I am the eternal one. That's first and last. That's going before, all the way to, through eternity, future. And there is no God besides me. We believe in one God, don't we? Christians believe in one God. Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses say they believe in one God. 
They don't believe in the Trinity, but they believe in one God. But what do they do with the Savior, who is God also, which we've already seen that text, and also in in a Revelation passage, there is no God besides me. Who is like me? Let him proclaim, declare it. Who's like that? He says uh, in verse 7, From the time that I established the ancient nation, and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place, do not tremble, do not be afraid. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? I've been saying this all along. Have I not said this? And then he says, And you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. <laughs> Do you like the way that God put it? And he's called himself the, the rock throughout Isaiah, hasn't he? Then from verse 9 in chapter 44, not going to go through that, here we go into idols again. He's got a long section there dealing with the idols. And, of course, that's supposed to be his great counterpart, right? And whether it be through the nations or whether it be through Israel. And then after he talks about idolatry and they had adapted into that, he says in verse 21, Remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you, you are my servant. Sounds familiar, right? O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. You're my servant. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud. Can we identify with that? Can we identify with our sins being cast away? with it, our transgressions just wiped out. Your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Uh, right at the end of verse 23. And in Israel he shows forth his glory. That he would be able to still call them a servant, to call them friends, to reestablish them after Babylon. Then he says in 24, Thus says the Lord your Redeemer and the one who formed you from the womb. Have we seen that before? <laughs> oh, yeah. And verse 28, here we go. Now, he's been talking about who's a servant. Well, Israel is a servant. We know the Messiah is the servant. And here's his other servant. Verse 28, now he names him. It is I who says of Cyrus. Nobody knows Cyrus at this time. They're probably saying, who's this? But for people who would read this later on, and for us today, it means something because he said it before he was ever born. And he called him and he said what he's going to do. Look at it historically. You don't even have to look at Scripture and you can see historically this is what happened. There was this, this Cyrus and he allowed the people from Israel to go out of there and he helped them. Matter of fact, he told them to go. And he'll help him, and he did. It is. Like Jeremiah, of course, we got the seventy years there. Amazing things, isn't it? That's pre-written history, mm-hmm. and that's why we can believe in the Bible, because prophecy is a big reason. It's huge. Uh, Archaeology is really big, but uh, just his word that says this before it happens, and then to name it, to to get detailed. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. (laughs) He's not not from the, the chosen people, although God has chosen him to do this thing. 
and he will perform all my desire. I love this. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built. And of the temple, your foundation will be laid. Cyrus. And of course, Ezra there talks about that when it did happen at that time. And this man was the the leader of the world at that time. Um, 45 is about Cyrus. uh, At least the the starting of it here. Um, Verse 1, Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. (laughs) Now that's interesting. He was anointed to do that, to subdue nations. Uh, Verse 5, I'm just going to touch on some really big ones here. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. There we go again. How many times have we seen this? Um, Oh, I've got verse 7 circled and then I've got a star on it. That means we really have to read it. and, And Janice said last week, this is all about the sovereignty of God. This verse is a great verse for sovereignty. The one, who's the one, forming light and creating darkness. There's creation there too, right? Causing well-being and creating calamity. (laughs) I am the Lord who does all these. That's a sovereign God verse. Um. How about verse 9? Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Sounds like Romans 9, doesn't it? When he talked about the sovereignty of God. Or the thing you're making say he has no hands? <laughs> verse 12. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. Keeps going back to the Creator God. I stretched out the heavens with my hands and I ordained all their host. And then he says, and he speaks of Cyrus now. I have aroused him in righteousness, and I will make all his ways smooth. He will build my city and will let my exiles go free without any payment or reward to the Lord of hosts. He let them go free, and it didn't cost them a thing. Is that grace? Is that grace? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, at the end of verse 14, Surely God is with you and there is none else. No other God. Truly you are God who hides himself, O God of Israel, Savior. Um, At the end of 18, I am the Lord and there is none else. Verse 19, I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. I don't have any mysteries. I have put it all out front. When Jesus came, it was for everybody to see. And they saw it. He wasn't in some kind of dark corner doing some kind of mystery religion. It was for all to see and to weigh out for themselves. Verse 21. Here we go again. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? It is not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me. A righteous God and a what? A Savior. God is Savior. Who's the Savior? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. There is none except me. Turn to me and be saved. Look at this invitation. All the ends of the earth. There's the invitation to us. I'm not sure. Was that the one Spurgeon uh, heard? It was something. Oh, what was it? Uh, Look to me. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Right, yeah. 
here's a lot like the same thing. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. <laughs> uh, oh, at the end of verse 23. That to me every knee will bow and every tongue swear allegiance. How many verses out of the New Testament and other places borrow from Isaiah? Is this a book or what? Everything just seems like an all-star verse, doesn't it? Oh, look at verse 25. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Chapter 46, uh, really quickly, uh, idols again. And then he says, whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me? That we'd be alike? That I'm like these idols that man makes and he makes fun of their idolatry. Uh, Verse 9, remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning. Nobody does that. No religion does that. The Muslims don't do that. The Hindus don't do this. And from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, I love this, my purpose will be established. And I will accomplish all my good pleasure. I love that. I think that's sovereignty of God again. Um, And it's all about His accomplishing His own pleasure, His own purpose. And here we go on 11. Calling a bird of prey from the east, who's this servant now? Cyrus again. The man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I've spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. He did it. This is our God, guys. At the end of verse, uh, at the end of thirteen, at the end of uh, forty-six, I will grant salvation in Zion and my glory for Israel. Uh, then he talks about uh, Babylon and the lamenting of them. I'm just, just firing through there. And in forty-eight, we we're, we're going to end here. In verse three, I declared the former things long ago. They went forth from my mouth, and I proclaimed them. Suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead bronze. Therefore, I declared them to you long ago. Before they took place, I proclaimed them to you so that you would not say my idol has done them and my graven image and my molten image have commanded them. You have heard, look at all this, and you will, will you not declare it? I proclaim to you new things from this time, even hidden things which you have not known. And it's uh, quite a lengthy on that. But verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? Verse 12, here we go again. Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. And he talks about he will be against the Chaldeans, the Babylonians in 14. Um, then he, you know, he called, raised them up. Then he raises Cyrus to come and defeat them. Uh, ooh, I like 16, right at the end of it. Uh, from the time it took place, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. I think you might have the Trinity involved there. 
Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. Verse 20, right at the end of it, the Lord has redeemed His servant Jacob. Uh, Verse 21, and we end with this. They did not thirst when He led them through the deserts. He made the water flow out of the rock for them. He split the rock and the water gushed forth. There's no place for the wicked, says the Lord. We went through that rather rapidly. We might have to cover this with more depth at some time. But did you get the idea? I really want to emphasize, I am the Lord your God. There is no other. I am your Savior. You know, constantly through there, we see His sovereignty. We see great verses that we've all memorized. Verses we put on the wall. (laughs) Verses we keep in our heads and, and uh, some of our favorite ones come right out of there. I just keep telling you, he's the creator, he created it, I've created it, I'm doing this. Can, you know, pay attention to what I'm telling you over and over again. And they knew that. They weren't evolutionists. They they knew the creator. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Before we go tonight, um, I just got a text from Sandy and Jared's mother is an ICU. Uh-oh. And this is the same prayer for her. Sure will. Um, did you want to give just a little bit of detail um, on that? She's got shingles, yeah, and it's really bad. Her whole thing 